Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, Simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we're the Minimalists. We are here with Malabama. Hi, everybody. TK <laughs> Coleman is in the studio. What it is. Uh, we got the rest of our team here as well. Jordan No More, Professor Sean, Danny Unknown are in the studio. And of course, Social Jess and Emma the Immigrant and Podcast Sean are with us in spirit. We got so much to talk about today. But first, big thanks to our Patreon supporters. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because, say it with me, y'all. Advertisements, advertisements suck. Oh, special episode today. Ryan Nicodemus is back again. Yes. We're going to do this every other week, right? I think. Yeah. <laughs> because, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Nicodemus. Oh. Thank you so much oh, for coming on the show the today. Warm-up. It's so good to be back in the studio with y'all. <laughs> Ryan was at Burning Man. We're going to talk about that during our Talk Aboutables mm. segment in the back half of the episode. TK so was down in North Carolina talking to some kids about know it. financial literacy and what it means to be a human being. So we were practically doing the same thing. Pra- practically. <laughs> 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 we're going to talk about that during the Talk Aboutables segment as well. But I thought we'd start with our callers today, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Let us know that you are a private podcast subscriber so we can prioritize your message. Our first question today is from Lynn in Sweden. Hi, my name is Lynn and I live in Sweden. I'm a Patreon subscriber. I am longing to declutter my Facebook friend list. I have previously done it on Instagram and I found it much easier as I had a shorter friend list there. Another factor is that there are Facebook friends that I want to keep in case I need to network with them again in the future. But in the same time, I really want to have a shorter friends list on Facebook. Do you have any tips or suggestions? I'm going to start with saying this, that a just-in-case friend isn't a friend at all. (laughs) Love people use things, right? Not, hey, maybe I need to use these people at some point in the future. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't be useful to one another. Mm -hmm. Everyone in this room, we're useful for each other and that's okay. The problem is when we develop these relationships where it's, ah, you know what? I better have that relationship just in case I need to use that person. Now, I think there are a few ways that we can approach a question like this. You can do something like what I did versus something like what Ryan did. And I'm sure TK has some insights as well. So the first thing I did when I first left the corporate world, and I had over a thousand Facebook friends because you just let them accumulate, not knowing what's going on. And then all of a sudden you turn around, you're like, who is that person? Wait, I'm friends with this person I've never even met. It's a friend of a friend of a friend of a Facebook friend. And now here I am with all of these so-called friends. 
and I know them loosely, or maybe I don't even know them at all. Or maybe there are some people from my past Mm. where I don't need to keep holding on to that relationship. I can let it go. Mm. And so here's what I did. I just unfriended everyone. And then I added, re-added the friends. I also unfollowed everyone on other platforms like Twitter. And eventually I've done this again on Instagram. We didn't have Instagram at the time. This is back in 2011. As I unfriended everyone and unfollowed them, and then I intentionally said, who am I missing out on? Who are the people who I actually want to check in with their life regularly? And I re-friended them. Mm -hmm. And occasionally someone would ask me, hey, why did you unfriend me? Oh, you know what? I just unfriended everyone. And that way you have an easy out too. Mm -hmm. I'd love to add you back though, because I want to keep back up with your life. Now, Ryan, you did something a little bit more extreme. Yeah, man. Um, Do you know how someone got rid of Facebook? Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I uh, I got rid of it because it was stressing me out too. I mean, I really feel Lynn's uh, pain here, um, and and I would you know dare to say that like I had way more pain. Like on on a good day, Facebook would pacify me. On its worst day, it would ruin my day. Never in my life did I ever go to bed thinking Facebook added so much value today. Thank you, Facebook. Um, I uh, yeah, so I got rid of it, and I'll tell you, it does make. It does make uh, things a little bit more inconvenient because there's a lot of haps going in on Facebook. I mean, so there's like maybe 5% of it that there is some information on there that can help. There are some groups you can be part of. I know um, there's like a couple, like the the Burning Man thing, like there's a whole, you know, group for our camp Mm -hmm. and I'm missing out on all of that. Um, And there's some pertinent information on there. But here's what I know is like if there's really important information on there, they're going to make sure I get it. Yeah. And I think that's important to notice. It's the fear of missing out versus the joy of missing out. Now, I will say the reason, the main reason I kept Facebook was actually so I could be part of a few small groups that required Facebook membership. And so I think there's a middle road here where you can get rid of your Facebook altogether, have a new account where you only follow two or three groups that you really want to follow. I totally have like a um, a burner account. Yeah, I have a burner account that like, <laughs> I, and it's funny because um, it's really for minimalist.org stuff. Yeah, so minimalist.org is our free local meetup groups. We have a hundred meetup groups in a hundred different cities, eight mm-hmm. different countries, also an online city. You can find those at minimalist.org. So you can connect with local open-minded or as TK would say, active-minded people. Mm. And so part of that's one of the groups that I'm a part of is Mm. minimalist.org. It's the main reason I have a Facebook account. And there are two or three other groups that Facebook is nice for. But other than that, I just generally don't keep up with it. Yeah. I mean, and I have that account because, um, you know, Emma might call me up and be like, hey, uh, can you take a look at this post and let me know what you think? And then, you know, I have a way to like kind of get on there and and, and lurk a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, I probably use it once every couple months. Like I don't, I don't use it much at all. I will tell you though, my life, when I got rid of Facebook, it was like this huge weight that I took, took off myself. Mm. You know, we talk a lot about like, we, we pick up these boulders. We're like walking up this hill and we are picking up all these boulders. And then all of a sudden we're like, Oh my God, why am I so tired and stressed out? What, what's going on? And then you realize like, Oh, like I, I picked this up. I can also put this down. And when I put that down, oh, my life was at least, it was at least 5% better. And why why is that? Why do you feel like it was causing so much stress for you? Because I think that, well, first off, Facebook is a very fake world. Facebook is, is, is full of, um, uh, hyperbole, exaggerations. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but like bipartisan politics. Yeah. And so I see family members 
that like I saw a family member um, basically post some meme about, and this is really what like kind of triggered my thought of like, oh, I got to get off here. This family member posted something about like, if you voted for this person, you shouldn't be able to breed. Like this was the meme. <laughs> and I'm like, she would never say that to anyone's face. She would never, she would never say that to my face. She would never say it to your face. Like mm-hmm. she's a very nice woman. Mm-hmm. But on Facebook, all of a sudden you've got like, you've got a little bit less of, uh, I don't know what it is like because you're not looking at someone face to face. So you have a little bit uh, of less trepidation to say something that's going to be offensive. In fact, I think Facebook encourages you to like yell and be loud and to and to voice your opinion in a way that you normally wouldn't do it face to face. And to me, that's toxic. And yeah. I and I really started to. um, Yeah, I just really started to kind of look at because some friends I was like, oh, my God, like I can't yeah. believe like they actually feel this way. Like I don't even want to hang out with them anymore. Yeah. Like it was damaging relationships when if I wasn't on Facebook, relationship wouldn't be damaged at all. That's, because, that's a great point. Yeah. And Ricky Gervais says going on to Twitter or Facebook is like reading a bunch of comments in a bunch of different bathroom stalls. Yes. And then pretending that's real life. That's Ooh, so good. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. I, I think we underestimate just how much we lose from like real world human interaction when we go online. When we go online, we only talk about the things that are fitting for being online, which are controversies and debates and and things along those lines. So that's really interesting. It's just like, so it's so emotional. Like Facebook is by far the most emotional um, social media uh, uh, app out there. Like, I mean, because Instagram, I don't pick that up. I mean, sometimes I get it a little bit. Um, you know, in my feed, sometimes I get a little bit in my feed on Twitter, but like Facebook is like, everyone's either like extremely happy. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. They're extremely sad. I'm sad today. Don't ask why. Or they're extremely angry. Like it's, it's all the emotions and it's all the extreme emotions. And it's all I, Facebook to me is like the most, and I know Instagram is still Facebook. Technically Mm -hmm. I call it, I call it Facebook light. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's like it, it, Facebook to me is like the the the, the place where people are just the, I've never seen so many people vying for so much attention in my life. And it's again, like it's really it's sad to like see people like for some reason they feel like they need that. Look at me. Look at my problems or look at my joy. I'm happier than you. When you said uh, <laughs> when you said hashtag bless, you made me think about the comedian Gary Owen who says we really just need to stop abusing that word blessed. He asked one of his friends, he's like, hey man, how you doing? And his buddy goes, I'm blessed just getting up on these hoes. <laughs> Bro, we just we, we should just put blessed, put blessed to rest. Yeah. So we got to stop abusing that. But I, I want to bring it home <laughs> for good. Lynn. That's good. Uh, with respect to this question, it sounds like you know what your gut is telling you to do. And it's not a question of what should I do but how should I deal with the fear that accompanies it? And I'm afraid of missing out when it comes to the possibilities for networking. And here's what I'll say. If you can't do business with someone without pretending to be their friend, then that's a sign that you probably shouldn't be doing business with them in the first place. Mm. When it's time for networking, people don't mind you being direct and talking about business. What makes it offensive is not when you are art and friends with someone, but when you ambush them by pretending to be friends. What's offensive is when you call someone up and you say, hey, man, how are the kids? How's the wife? How things been going? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. OK, so look, I was hoping you could sponsor my event. And the other person is thinking, oh, so this is the real reason why you called. Mm-hmm. And it makes the, you know, the game of friendship feel pretentious. 
But if you just call someone or email someone and say, hey, haven't talked in a while, but I remember we connected at the conference last year Mm -hmm. and you said something about X, Y, Z. I think you'd be great for our event. And I'd be interested in knowing if it's something you'd like to have a phone call about for 10 minutes. People are okay with doing business when you're direct. It's what they're not okay with is when you pretend to be friends when you're actually not. It reminds me of this Key and Pill skit, by the way, where these two black guys go to a bar and there's a white person that sits next to them and says, you know, slavery was bullshit, man. It was bullshit. And the two of them look at each other and they're like, yeah, it, it was. And then uh, <laughs> an- another white person comes and sit next to them and they're like, you know, I just want to let you guys know, just on behalf of a lot of people out there, you know, I'm just really sorry. I'm really sorry, you know, how hard you guys have it. And they're like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then finally, there's this white guy that comes to the bar and he like sits a little further away from them. And he's like, sorry, I'm not comfortable around black people. And they look at each other and they go, thank you. <laughs> so, so even though this guy was being a little bit insensitive or a lot of bit insensitive, they were they found his authenticity mm. so refreshing that yeah. they just wanted to sit there and have a beer with that guy. Mm. That's a stretch. That's an extreme illustration. But when it comes to networking, you don't need to be friends with everyone that you need to do business with. You just need to be authentic. So don't be afraid to unfriend those just-in-case friends. When you need people to do deals with, if they're worth doing deals with, you can reach out to them directly, transparently, non-pretentiously, and they'll look to, they'll look forward to connecting with you. Yeah. Lynn, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, The Minimalist Rule Book. It's 16 Rules for Living with Less, because you talked about just-in-case friends. We have something in there called the just-in-case rule and 15 other rules that we simplify our lives with. If you want it, you can download it for free, theminimalists.com slash rulebook, or if you want the audiobook version, we'll be happy to send that to you as well. Our next question is from Rukmini in Mumbai, India. Hi, I'm a Patreon subscriber. My name is Rukmini and I'm from Mumbai, India. How do you deal with misery arising from memory, from involuntary reminders of mistakes from the past? You know, Mm. mistakes are a real fascinating thing because when we make a mistake and we don't learn from it, what happens? We keep making the same mistake. Our friend Mm -hmm. Drew, who did the music for both of our films, him and Nate, uh, they formed this band, VVE. But his first band, which I really love, Parlor Hawk, that he had this amazing line. I learned a lot of good lessons here that I choose to forget. And isn't that true? We learn a lesson. And then, of course, when it becomes inconvenient, that lesson goes by the wayside. But here's the opposite of that. A mistake ceases to be a mistake as soon as it actually becomes a lesson. Mm. As soon as you've learned something from it, it's no longer a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so, Rukmini, if you have actually learned your lesson and it's moved you forward in a way so that you're not going to make that same mistake, then you can simply let it go. How do you let go? You stop clinging to that mistake because you realize it wasn't a mistake after all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, a a memory is not an objective recollection of past events. Mm -hmm. It's an imperfect recollection of past events, plus a personal narrative about how that event fits into the broader story of our lives. And the way you let go of a memory that brings pain is you recognize that this is not me seeing it as it actually is in some objective sense. It's my story that brings the pain. And that story can be changed. That story can be negotiated. That story can be tinkered with. And, you know, you you think about um, all success stories, 
they none of them mean anything if they don't have some kind of embarrassing failure in them. That's what makes the success stories interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, the person with the success story can say, hey, there was this time where the first time I went on stage, I completely bombed and put my foot in my mouth. Or the first time, you know, I, I, I asked out the lady that turned out to be my wife, I completely embarrassed myself and she laughed at me. If you just remember that event, it can be like a really bad thing. But what makes the success story interesting? They contextualize it by saying, and this is what that means. It impacted me this way. And I learned this and I got better as a result of that. And I went on to achieve this, accomplish that, create X, Y, Z, whatever it may be. And so it's not failure until you've accepted it as final. If there's something bad or unpleasant that has happened in your experience, just know that that is not the story. That is only a component in your story. And you have the power to decide how you're going to label that and what meaning you're going to assign to that. That's the part that you get to choose. You don't delete the memory from your brain, but you let it go by adding something to it, namely an empowering story of where it's going to take you because of how you're going to use that experience. You know the best way to not feel guilty? Stop doing things that make you feel guilty. I mean, mm. that's 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 how I look at it. For me, I think about how poorly I've treated people in the past, and it's embarrassing, and it's it's uh, it, it's shameful in a way. I don't feel shame over it because I'm not that person anymore. But mm. there is there is some shamefulness that I that I express with that. But the way that I was able to get over that is I'm like, oh, I'm gonna stop treating people poorly, and I'm gonna go out of my way to like do what I can for people. That way I won't feel guilty about treating people poorly. And I promise you, like if you, uh, uh, Rukmini, if you, if you go out of your way to like um, be the person that you really want to be and that you know that you are, like you can start to let go of that guilt for there's, sure. There's another layer to that as well because you just talked about two components there. One is you stop treating people poorly. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the main component. Sure. Because as soon as you stop treating people poorly, it's not like you have to give them effusive praise throughout every day, because that can also come off as disingenuous. That's not what we're talking about right. here. And so what you really did is you decluttered the meanness, mm. the the lack of concern or lack of compassion or whatever. It mm. wasn't even about treating them nicely yet. It was about merely dropping that behavior yeah. that turned them off and also turned you off, by the way. Now, why do we do that? Almost always because of self-righteousness. Ooh. I'm going to put myself on a pedestal because I feel small. Mm. That's the reason we put ourselves on a pedestal mm. because I feel like a tiny person. And so I need to raise myself up to so you can see me eye to eye or, you know what? I want to look down on you so I can feel powerful. Yeah. I can feel like I'm in control. I can feel like yeah. I'm better than you. Mm. And so... I start treating you poorly, not knowing that I'm treating you poorly, merely because I feel insignificant. Mm. Well, if you simply realize that you are significant, regardless of what other people think about you, whether or not you get their acceptance, their veneration, their praise, their quote unquote love, Mm. right? You are already enough. You are already significant. Then that is enough. And if you really want to love other people, you can simply see them. You can notice them without trying to manipulate them and certainly without looking down on them. Yeah, I, um, I think about the May song where he says, fools wouldn't listen to my demo, but now they want to drive in my limo. And one of the things that that lyric illustrates is that you can always put a comma behind a negative past and a but after that comma, and you can add something positive to it 
that makes that negative memory something that is an exciting and essential part of your story. And Ryan just did it. He said, I used to do things that make me feel bad, comma, but now I'm a better person than I used to be. Now I do things that serve people, that help them and that empower them. Mm -hmm. And we can do that with anything. I used to make this kind of mistake. I used to treat people like this. I used to embarrass myself like that, comma, but now I'm a better human being because of how I chose to react and respond to it. You can always put that comma and that but with something positive after it, and it transforms the memory into something that you don't want to let go. You want to hold on to it as an inspiring part of an empowering story. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is when I started to go out of my way to like be a different person, a lot of people didn't trust me. Mm. I mean, they were just looking at me like, oh, you're a minimalist now? Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I've, I've seen what you do. <laughs> And I'm just not buying it, Ryan. Yeah, because your previous pattern didn't match the new aspiration. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, I had to push through that um, because then I started to doubt myself too. Like, oh, maybe I am a fraud. And mm-hmm. um, But I had to push through it and I'm glad I did. And you know what? Like all those people who, um, you know, maybe were raising an eyebrow or, or not trusting me, um, I, you know, I can't think of anyone who now doesn't like see me for who I am. And uh, yeah, but it was difficult to push through that. I, I could see where maybe someone would... Uh, their journey would be a paused because, you know, they're trying to be a different person and people are like, stop trying to be someone different. We know who you are. Mm, I mean, yeah. it, it made me pause for a second, but uh, pushing through was, it was great. I'm glad I did it. Rook Mini, I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. Ryan and I wrote this a while ago. It was really a book about our mistakes. It was everything before mm. the butt, as TK talked about. And then it was everything after that, how we simplified our lives, how we walked away from those mistakes and walked towards something else and created a new pattern. Because Ryan, you're absolutely right. When people didn't trust you right away, Mm -hmm. they had a right to not trust you right away. 100%. However, when your actions changed, your understanding of life changed, and the way you started treating people was different, Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you began to build trust in a way that wasn't inauthentic. In fact, it was the most authentic version of yourself. You stopped treating people poorly, walked away from those past mistakes and started being you, actually Mm. you. I was going to say a better version of yourself, but it wasn't better. It was the real you by decluttering all of those past mistakes, getting them out of the way, all those Mm. things that blocked love and understanding, you remove those. And that's really what Everything That Remains was about. Rukmini, we'll send you a copy of that. If you like the podcast, I think you'll enjoy the audiobook version of Everything That Remains. Or if you want the book book or the ebook version, we'll be happy to send those to you as well. Our next question is from Jim in Flossmoor, Illinois. Hello, my name is Jim. I'm calling from Flossmoor, Illinois. I have three questions for you to consider. Do either of you, Joshua or Ryan, have a budget that you stick to for your minimal lifestyle? Do either of you choose to eat minimal amounts of food or are your refrigerator stuck with food? And my last question is, as minimalists, do you use public transportation or carpool to save money on transportation? Jim, you snuck in three questions there. <laughs> we'll allow it. Minimalist. He kept the, uh, the voicemail short, at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where do we want to start, Ryan? You want to talk about budget, food, or transportation? Um, I think we can pretty much talk about all of it, honestly. All right. We'll start with the, the budget side of things. The, answer, the, the short answer to that is yes, Ryan and I both have a budget. Of course. Minimalism is just a, another way of saying living within your means-ism. Yeah. And so it's not really an ideology. And so I don't want to go into debt because I realize that debt 
prevents me from being free. It's not that I hate debt. It's that I value freedom so much that anytime I do something that gets in the way of my freedom, I often end up regretting it. Yeah. I'm punishing my future self for instant gratification mm-hmm. or I'm punishing my future self for a decision that I'm making today because it's easier to say yes to this, whether it's calendar clutter, financial clutter, et cetera. And so, yes, we have a budget. And in that budget, I have to save up for things that I want to buy. Mm-hmm. If I need something, then I have an emergency fund. If it's a true emergency, of course, most emergencies aren't. Right. And then I live within my means. What does that mean? I spend less money than what I earn. And that has been true ever since I became a minimalist. And we started The Minimalist back in 2010. In 2011, I made the least amount of money in my adult life. I made $23,000, but I was more financially secure that year. Why? Because I lived within my means. I spent less money than what I made. And the opposite was true the year before that. I was making about $200,000 a year, but spending more than that. And so what happened? I was broke. And not only was I broke, I was broken because I'd given up my freedom. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else on budgeting? Hmm. No, no, I mean, I think I think you described it perfectly. It is living within your means-ism or uh, living intentionally. And I think being intentional with your money, uh, which is a very important resource, um, I think that's I think that's important to keep track of. But there are so many more important resources than money, though. I mean, money. I don't want I don't want to say it's not in the vehicle, but it's certainly not. In the, it's not in the driver's seat. Bingo. And uh, yeah, so you got to be intentional with your your time, your attention, your creativity. Um, your energy in general, like what you're giving to people. Now, it's not so simple to like keep a budget for all that stuff, but we know how yeah. we feel like when we're given too much. Yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that is what minimalism is. When I was, you know, when I was a Burning Man, like I'd met someone and, and we got to talking because, you know, they're like, what do you do? And, you know, we I started talking about the minimalists and they're like, oh, do you still, look, so do you really practice that lifestyle? And I'm like, what does that lifestyle look like to you? Mm. He's like, well, I don't know. I'm assuming like you probably don't have anything. And, that you probably carpool to work and that your fridge is probably empty and mm-hmm. and you probably use one square toilet paper at a time. And it's like, well, maybe that is minimalism for someone. Mm-hmm. But minimalism is about it's about doing things in a way yeah. that, uh, that you can thrive in life. Not just survive, but you can thrive. I love what you're talking yeah. about here because what you're saying is, in many ways, minimalism is a lifestyle budget. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. Because it part of it's financial, but it's also how do we treat the people around us? How do we treat ourselves? Mm-hmm. And developing budgets in all of these different areas. Now, TK, you are the economic director at a place called Fee. And so you understand a lot about budgeting and money and economics. What do you have to say to Jim? First thing I say is that minimalism isn't about having less. It's about having a balanced relationship between more and less. Having less of the things that hold you back and weigh you down and having more of the things that create space for possibility and joy. What I would say about this from an economic point of view is that you have to invest in your capacity to earn more than you spend, but also invest in your ability to need less than the value you're capable of creating. And so for the first thing, that involves things like developing new skills, learning the principles of economic and entrepreneurial thinking that maximize your ability to create wealth, seeking out new experiences, and so on. For the second thing, that involves increasing your tolerance for simplicity and delayed gratification so that you can live off less without being dishonest about what you truly need. So the two sides to the same coin is how can you increase your capacity for value creation 
while at the same time gradually extricating yourself from all of the dependencies that the world says you have in order to be able to make a life. The more you can invest in your capacity to do those two things, the more free you can become. That's beautifully said. I want to address the other two questions here because I think they tie in with that fairly well. Because yes, I have a, a sort of food budget. Now my food budget, not monetarily, but the what I eat is different from what TK eats or what Alabama eats or what Ryan eats. And a lot of that has to do with our own individual needs. So I have this autoimmune condition that prevents me from eating a bunch of things, right? And so I am necessarily minimalist in this area mm. where I'm on an autoimmune protocol diet. What does that look like for me? Well, I have a local butcher shop in my neighborhood that I walk to almost every day. And so, no, I don't keep a fridge stocked full of food. There are two reasons I don't is I want to get that meat fresh. And so mm -hmm. I'm able to do that regularly, virtually every day. I just walk up there before lunch and I get enough for lunch and dinner for me and my family. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I will bring that home. And so I have enough for you know a day or a couple days mm -hmm. in the fridge. The other reason is I don't keep a bunch of extra food in the house because I would eat it. <laughs> the same way. <laughs> and especially with the autoimmune condition, mm -hmm. like I pay for it almost immediately. So mm -hmm. I eat grass-fed, regeneratively raised, usually ruminant animals, cows, et cetera, mm -hmm. and then fruits that I can tolerate. So mangoes, papayas, yeah, blueberries occasionally, watermelon I had yesterday. And that is fundamentally my diet. And I eat quite a bit. Yeah, I probably have 3,000 plus calories a day. So I'm not in a deficit. Although I will say this, the other aspect of my my food minimalism is I fast every day. It's called an inter intermittent fast, not a real fast. A traditional fast would be 72 hours mm -hmm. or more. And I've done quite a few of those. I've done up to six days fasting in the past. But I generally eat within an eight-hour window. That means there are 16 hours out of the day that I don't eat. On days like this where we're podcasting, I often go 20 to 24 hours yeah. without eating. So I do about a day fast once a week. And that works out really well for me. It reduces inflammation and helps me feel better cognitively and physically. Mm. So that diet works really well for me out of necessity. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about transportation, this is an area that might surprise a lot of people, but I have no desire to carpool and do these other things. That does not surprise me at all. Yeah. You are so <laughs> introverted. Like I cannot imagine Josh trying to find random people. Hey, who's driving down to LA from Ojai? <laughs> well, he'd be so grumpy all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I don't mind going on public transit uh, at all, yeah. but it's not something I want to completely rely on. I really, right. and part of this is my own program. I, I really appreciate the freedom of being able to go when I want to go where I want to go and having the ability to do it on my own. There's an independence yeah. there that I really value. Now, that said, I don't drive that much. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, I'm able to walk just about everywhere I want to go, except when I would need to come down here and mm -hmm. record the podcast. And so, yeah, I do that on my own. I tend to leave really, really early in the morning to avoid any sort of traffic. That yeah. didn't work out as well this morning. It took about two and a half hours to get here today. Mm-hmm. And that's because um, I didn't plan accordingly. I still got here plenty of time, but mm -hmm. I generally leave around 5.30 in the morning mm. and it'll take me an hour and 15 minutes to get here. Mm. And so there wouldn't even be a great way for me to make it here with public trans transit or carpooling or anything right. else. Yeah, but difficult. I do minimize my driving because I prefer to not constantly be in the car all the time. TK, yeah. I think you're in a similar predicament. You come up from Orange County. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, depending on what time I leave, I, I'm in the car for 60 to 90 minutes, a couple of days a week driving here. And the last thing I would want to do is take that hike with someone else. When I'm by myself, I mean, it's my peace. I get to meditate. I get to pray. I get to listen to podcasts or just drive with the quiet. Another person there with me would just totally ruin that. And I think I'd be a lot more grumpy in the morning and I'd have a lot less of what I need, which brings me to this point. What you said about the car illustrates a powerful principle to me about intentional living. And that is when you're too dogmatic about living with less, it just leads to alternative forms of excess. It's like those people who say, oh, I'm going to save five, uh, save five dollars. And so they drive two hours away spending five times as much in gas just to save $5 on the purchasing of a t-shirt because they're driven by some guilt-based concept of can't let anybody see me spend this much money. I got to make sure I live up to the image of minimalism. And it just leads to an alternative form of excess that misses the point. You always have to stay focused on doing what's best for you in the way that fits your story. Where are you saving $5 on (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts? It's like the person who spends 10 hours a week clipping coupons to save $10. And it's like, well, you could actually use those 10 hours to make much more than $10 or whatever you end up saving with the coupons. Jim, I'd love to send you a copy of our free ebook. It's called Financial Freedom. You can find it at theminimalists.com slash resources. It's on our resources page here. There's a bunch of free resources, a printable calendar for the minimalism game, 15 ways to write better, my free ebook, but also the financial freedom ebook it talks about budgeting and our specific budgets, what Ryan and I use to get out of debt, to stay out of debt mm-hmm. and to be financially free. Hmm. Let's move on to our social media questions. You can follow the minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the minimalists. Axel from YouTube has a question for us, Malabama. I struggle with calling myself a minimalist and at the same time, a prepper. Can someone really be both? Well, I would say that letting go is the ultimate form of prepping. Mm, Sure. Because minimalism prepares us in the truest sense of the word for times of famine, Mm. literally or more frequently, figuratively. Think about when the pandemic happened. I mean, were you and I like, oh, no, what have we done? We've minimized everything. Yeah. Where am, I getting, where am I getting another broken waffle iron? I really need that basketball trophy now. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, no, when the pandemic happened, like, it didn't even, I mean, yeah, it made, you know, my life as difficult as it made everyone else's or inconvenient. But there was no regrets. Like, I wasn't like, oh, I wish I would have prepped more. I wish I would have planned for this more. And you can't you can't plan for every emergency anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I love the challenge, though. We actually did a podcast on this, right? Mm-hmm. About prepping. Yeah, yeah, it's called emergency items. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great episode. And um, you know, Mariah and I have a go bag. We live in LA. Uh, earthquakes happen, mm-hmm. fires happen. Sometimes you got to get your stuff and go. Mm. And we talk, we talk about what's in that go bag. And yeah. um, it was interesting because I remember I was talking about mine, and then you started to like kind of stress out, like, should I have this stuff? And then you're like, wait a minute, no, I don't. Yeah, and it's okay. <laughs> Because what is appropriate for you may be inappropriate for me and vice versa, right? right? Mm -hmm. Ryan's go bag is just, it looks like the Oregon Trail. It's just guns and medicine and one wagon wheel. (laughs) And one pocket just full of baked beans. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, You know, it's funny. It made me think about um, my wife and I were um, looking around at some furniture and we, uh, we found something that we really liked. And she said, 
all right, we really like this and it's got the right price, but we might see something else that we like too. Mm. So should we get this now or should we wait? Mm. And I said, the problem with that game is that there's no theoretical end to it. Because there's always the possibility that tomorrow is the day where you see something that's 10 times a better deal than the thing you buy today. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong to wait for a better deal. The difference that makes a difference is when you establish a boundary and you say, okay, we can give ourselves permission to wait one week, you know, whatever it may be, two weeks. And if we don't see something that's better, we go with what we decided. And if we do see something that's better, we make a final decision between those two things and nothing else. So my minimalist maxim, if I really can fit this in 120 characters, would be prepping is indistinguishable from hoarding without a well-defined boundary. Yes, Minimalism isn't defined by what you do, but how you do it. Because for any two things that you do in life, you can do it in two ways. For anything you do, you can do it in two ways. You can do it intentionally or you can do it unintentionally. Minimalism is about doing it intentionally, saying, I'm not going to expect boundaries to happen all by themselves. Mm. So whether it's prepping or shopping, I'm going to decide what my limitations are ahead of time in accordance with my purpose, and I'm going to protect myself from impulse decision-making. Yeah, and no one no one can set those boundaries for you but you. I mean, if you want, we could set some boundaries for you, but you're probably not going to thrive. Yeah. yeah, and you can take some of the boundaries, like when we talk about the minimalist rule book, mm-hmm. those are adjustable boundaries. Right. It's like someone giving you a bunch of planks of wood so you can build your own fence. You get to determine where that fence line actually goes yeah. around your property. We're not going to set that up for you. That's exactly right. And yeah. you know, it's funny, man. I was realizing um, the other day how uh, little kids, they want to do everything. No, I want to push that. No, I want to hold that. No, I want to carry that. And as adults, we want everyone to do things for us. <laughs> and there's there's something there. Um, but with boundaries, you cannot have other people set your boundaries for you. Well, why is that? Let's explore that for a second. Mm. So we want other people to do things for us. Mm-hmm. What do you mean specifically? Give me an example. So, there. Uh, so building a fence, for example. Yeah. So like a kid uh-huh. would love to build a fence. Uh-huh. And adults like, I ain't doing that. Yeah. I'm going to pay someone to do that for me. Sure. Or, um, or setting boundaries. Like, I mean, people call in with these questions and they want these direct answers. How do I know how much toilet paper is enough for me? Uh-huh. Like they want us to tell them, well, you know, it's enough when uh, you're half of your pantry's full, whatever. Like they want us to give a very clear cut boundary because it's difficult to set that boundary on your own. Yeah. I, usually I say you're one square of toilet paper per gram of fiber that you consume <laughs> within a day is the exact number. And so you, that's the yep. equation. No, I have no idea. Right, and, right. and I think that's the thing, right? And what we, we need to realize that we're all preppers in some sort. We have this rule called mm-hmm. the just for win rule. Mm-hmm. And it's different from just in case, right? Mm-hmm. Just in case items, we can get rid of all of our just in case items unless they're emergency items. That's a separate rule, right? Mm-hmm. So like I have jumper cables. That's a just in case item, emergency item which is just something that I hope I never have to use, but have it there in case of a true emergency, right? Just for wins, a little bit different. My just for win items are like toilet paper. Like, yes, I don't buy my toilet paper one square at a time. I don't buy my toothpaste one nurdle at a time. I buy a few tubes of toothpaste and then I have it. And when I run out, I go buy some more. And that way I'm not constantly going to the store over and over. But what's appropriate for me may not be appropriate for you. It also depends on the space, right? Because some people, if they have extra storage space, they have a big pantry or something, they can go to Costco and 
get the more toilet paper or, or whatever it is. For me, it simply wouldn't fit. And so for me, that would be too much. Yeah. But by the way, we tend to be more happy with the boundaries that we set for ourselves, whereas the boundaries that other people set for us tend to feel more like a burden. Yeah. I mean, if you tell me that I can't drink soda and I do it because you told me, it might bring health benefits to my life. But when times get difficult and I second guess myself, or maybe I don't get the results that I thought I would get. Well, who am I bitter at? Mm. You know, who, who, who am I questioning now? Well, Josh, you told me this. I, you're less likely to take ownership of choices that you make when they're based on someone else's principles and priorities. On the other hand, when you set your own boundaries, even though that's incredibly difficult because you have to step back and think about your why, mm. with a lot of, you know, a, a lot of time and energy that goes into that, at the end of the day, when times get difficult, you're more likely to say, that's okay because this is my boundary. And even when it doesn't work out, you're more likely to learn from it because you say, it's all right. It's my choice. Mm. I forgive myself for the choice. It's just easier to forgive yourself than it is other people when you're, when you're adopting boundaries. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But man, we sure do love to blame people for our mistakes, oh, don't man. we? Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's so easy mm -hmm. because taking responsibility for something Mm -hmm. is one of the most difficult things we can do. Mm. And yet, if you look at it, you know, Alan Watts talks about this all the time, how essentially you're responsible for everything that happens to you. It doesn't mean you're at fault for everything that happens to you, mm. right? And there's a difference there, right? And what we want to do with the blame is we're fault finding. I need to abdicate my own fault. I can't be to blame here. And therefore, if I can't be to blame, someone else needs to be to blame. Mm -hmm. And that pits us against each other. I need to be right. And therefore, someone needs to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other cultures where it's like, hey, if I'm wrong, we're all wrong. Uh, or if I'm right, we're all right. If I win, we all win. If I lose, we all lose. Mm -hmm. A more communal culture in that sense. And there, there's much to recommend that, right? To, to understand that we are all inextricably linked to one another. That's the key to stepping out of the blame game, because when you really think about it, blame is an expression of our fear of being alone. When I blame you, I get to Tweet pull that you, podcast, Sean. Mm -hmm. I get to pull you into my troubles, right? Yeah, like man. if I blame you, that means you're in this with me. Mm. Now we're in this together because it's your fault. So I'm miserable, but we're in this together. But personal responsibility feels like we're alone. But when you recognize that we're never alone that we're all linked, inextricably bound together in some kind of way, you can step beyond that blame and say, hey, when I take responsibility for my actions and my outcomes, that doesn't make life more lonely. It actually gives me a new way to connect with people. I now get to connect with them on the basis of truth, not on the basis of bitterness and resentment. We got a question here from Twitter. Michael has a question for us. What are the intersections between minimalism and combating the trappings of passivity? So this question seems to me to presuppose that being passive is an inherently bad thing and therefore being active is inherently good. But I will say this, first off, opting out is an active choice, not a one-time decision because you can opt out of something. You know, it's like a, a diet is a great example of this. Like if you want to change your dietary lifestyle and you want to start eating a paleo diet because you feel that, that is the best route for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. But you have to constantly opt out of the things that don't conform to that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Because 
It's not a one-time thing. All right, I've made the choice. Now, yes, it might be that you've made the choice, but you have to continue making the choice. So even opting out in a way is active. But I will say this, because you're being passive in some sense, there's a lot of virtue in that quite often. Because if someone's yelling at you on social media just for the sake of yelling at you, there was a guy who tweeted this. um, I think it was Will Arnett. He... uh, they have, a, great. they have a podcast called Smartless. I don't know if you've heard it. It's him and Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes. Oh, I've heard it. I got to check that out. It's great. Yeah. And because uh, they're real self-deprecating. So there's the three of them and they bring on a surprise guest. Like the other two people are surprised. So they'll bring on like, um, I don't know, uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds or mm. George Clooney or mm. something. And they'll talk to that person. Yeah. And anyway, he tweeted. He said, I just want you to know, bef- uh, I'm sorry if you're offended. And he like, Oh, actually, here's what he said. Here's what he said exactly. Apropos of nothing, I'm sorry if you're offended. (laughs) (laughs) And here's what happened. People started getting outraged. Well, what did he say? Right. Uh, And other people are like, they're preemptively expressing their outrage to something that never even occurred. And that shows you a particular thing about the human condition. We want to get outraged and therefore we do. We get real active. Where in that scenario the more, quote-unquote, virtuous thing to do would be to be completely passive. Yeah. I have no reason to be outraged here, mm. so why don't I just step back and watch the river flow? Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. You know, people who are driven by their own sense of purpose will always appear to be too passive in the eyes of busybodies who are constantly striving to climb these socially constructed ladders that lead to nowhere. You should never consider yourself behind such people, mm. beneath such people, below such people, if you're not interested in getting what they're climbing that ladder to reach. And so, you know, there is such a thing as purpose-driven passivity where you can say, I'm going to step back. I'm going to hang back. I'm going to relax. I'm going to do nothing. And it leads to a lot of beauty in life. I heard one teacher refer to that as noble boredom, mm. where I am liberating myself from the need to always feel like I'm being active and aggressive and assertive and exercising initiative in order to discover beautiful things in life. Some of the best things that come in life are the result of sitting back, relaxing, and being chill. You don't always need to be in the go-get-it mentality. Like I mentioned earlier, minimalism is really about being intentional with whatever you do. You can be intentional about taking rest. You can be intentional about you know, being a go-getter. And, and, and this, this to me is the difference between impulse and improv. Impulse is when you say, I'm going to make a decision in a way that's divorced from my principles because I'm controlled by the moment. I'm caught up in what's going on around me. I'm in reaction and response mode. But improv is when you say, I'm going to give myself permission to be creative in a way that is in accordance with my principles, because there's always more than one way for me to be me and create the experiences that matter most to me. Mm, yeah. Yeah. When I think of passivity, um, kind of what you were saying, like, it's not necessarily good or bad. Like we, you know, uh, we don't have to moralize it here. The question is, is like, why are you being passive? Mm-hmm. And like, sometimes it is healthy. Sometimes it is, it's time for rumination and it's time to really, um, you know, focus on whatever you want to focus on. Or maybe you just need to release and like not focus on anything and just sit there and kind of watch a movie or something. For me, the question is, is are you running from something? 
Mm. Are you trying to be passive because you're, you're escaping from something that you really need to do? Mm. Um, or are you doing it because you need rest? So in, in that aspect, I mean, it's, yeah, it could be a good or a bad thing or a neutral thing, really. It just depends on how you're using it. Later during the talk aboutable segment, I've got this thing I want to talk to you about, about putting things off. So procrastinating, which is in a way a type of passivity. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll dive into that during the talk aboutables, mm-hmm. talk aboutables segment later in the episode. But Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions, your comments, your compliments on Josh's hair. Ooh. You can- <laughs> <laughs> man, I've Thank missed you. that so much, by the way. I've missed that so much. That, it's so good to have you back. That, oh, that, so good to have you that back. That phone number, by the way, is 937-202-4654. And that goes to both of our phones. And pretty soon, TK, we got to get you set up on that. Remind me that later today because you can just respond to people whenever you want. And uh, we actually respond to some folks here on the podcast. So you can text us whatever you'd like during the lightning round. This is where Ryan, TK, and I do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. Professor Sean puts one minute on the clock for us. We give you our minimal maxims. By the way, they're also in the show notes, so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place, thanks to our good friend Social Jess. That's minimalmaxims.com. Alabama Grace has a question for us. What are the best strategies or ways to encourage our partners to embrace minimalism and simplicity? C.K. Coleman has 60 seconds on the clock. <laughs> wow. The best testimony is a well-lived life. If you want to make a compelling case for something that you believe and its capacity to positively impact others, the best way for you to do that is to show people what it looks like to live out the value of those ideas. Mm. Create curiosity about what you believe by the way you behave. If you're doing it right, people should be coming to you saying, hey, what have you been reading? What have you been eating? That's what I do to Ryan. He comes in here, body don't lie. I look at that (laughs) body and I say, hey man, where have you been working out? He doesn't have to preach it to me. He practices it so well, it creates curiosity that makes me come to him. That's what happens when you Live a good testimony. Oh, keep going. Give him another 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you more about Ryan's beautiful body. <laughs> With the five seconds I have left, his body's so amazing. <laughs> All right, um, let's, let's throw 60 seconds on the clock for Ryan Nicodemus. This is the nicest way I've ever heard anyone ask, how do I make my partner a minimalist? Mm, and here's, wow. my, my pithy answer is this. Support bound by expectations isn't supportive. Mm. So, uh, you know, another way to say uh, to say this, too, is, hey, you know, the uh, if you are respecting your partner's preferences, whatever they may be, minimalist or no minimalist, like that is going to be the best invitation for them to respect your preferences. But if you are going to if you are going to if you're going to support them, if you're asking us like, oh, what can I do to support them to be a minimalist? Well, now we're saying, well, if you do these three things, mm-hmm. your partner is going to start to see the light and they're going to start to come around that corner. Yeah. And that's just that's not. Uh, well, it's not, it's not accurate because we have no advice to do that. And the other thing too is like, well, now when that expectation isn't met, well, now you're going to be doubly disappointed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How can I manipulate my partner in a yeah, way? Right. I'm using Ryan's last nine seconds. Yeah, do here. it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what, what, in a way, that's what we ask. What are the strategies to manipulate my partner to make them better? Mm-hmm. Throw a minute on the clock for me. I got something pithy for you here. The why to is infinitely more powerful than the how to. Quite often we want these strategies. 
what are the six things I can do to manipulate my partner? Mm -hmm. And obviously, Grace, I don't think you're trying to manipulate your partner. You want them to live a healthier life, a better life. You want less suffering in their life. And that's why I get so passionate about things like minimalism or when we talk about diet, we talk about letting go, we talk about love. I get passionate about these things because I've suffered so much in my own life. And how have I suffered? Because I've been chasing all of these how-tos. And they never got me anywhere. Mm. I chased all of these solutions that ended up being a bigger part of the problem. But if I truly understand the why to, what are the benefits of simplifying? And how can your partner change if they truly understand what the benefits are? Not the benefits for you, Grace. What are the benefits for your partner? And if they understand the benefits, then they will understand how to let go. What does Bex's shirt say? Coercion is not consent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Keep that in mind yeah. <laughs> when you're working with your partner too. By the no. way, I got your new hip hop song right here. It's Reset the Clock. I got something piped for you. Reset the clock. I got something pithy for well, you. The way you said it, you it was just so rhythmic, man. And you should say pithy from now on. Like, just keep it pithy. <laughs> keep it pithy, man. That could be another rap song. I want, I, yeah, I get, pithy, I'm just, baby. yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast Sean sent him all, the whole, like, Greek etymology of the word pithy. And yeah. Anyway, uh, Malabama, we got so much more to talk about. But first, what do you got for us? Here are some minimalist comments and insights from our listeners. Hello, my name is Maggie, and I'm from Northport, Michigan. I wanted to leave a comment addressing gifts. I recently saw a local news story about a little girl who loved dogs, so she asked for birthday gifts such as dog food and toys that would then be donated to their local animal shelter. So then I thought for Mother's Day, um, you could ask for items that then could be donated to the local women's shelter. Also around Christmas, there's usually toy drives and winter coat and boot drives. Um, and a last idea um, for children is um, their classroom at school being adopted um, to supply with um, some basic items that their class could need. Hi, this is Emily from Rohnert Park, California. I was really moved by your collecting, collecting episode, and I wanted to talk about how studying art history in college, I was very seduced by this history of beautiful objects and started collecting antiques myself at a young age and found it actually really quieting for my mind to focus all my attention on this one object and studying it and appreciating its beauty. And it was only over time that I came to realize it wasn't owning these things that brought pleasure, but actually just feeling reverent for them. And I was able to sell my collections without losing much money because antiques hold their value, which sadly is not the case with most objects in the world. And now I can move through this world of objects and appreciate them and then just leave them in the world the same way we take a hike in the woods and we don't feel like we need to bring home the trees and rocks and creatures. We just enjoy being immersed in that environment and enjoy it while we're there. Um, and I think too often people think that when you're a minimalist, you have a kind of disdain for things and that you shun them and reject them. And that's just not the case. You can still very much enjoy objects and be amused by the novelty goods at the store or the beautiful jewelry on people's wrists. And you just don't have to own it. So reverence is different than ownership. Welcome back to The Minimalists. I'm here with Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Malabama, and the rest of our team. Let's dive into our live stream. By the way, if you are a 
private podcast video subscriber, you get access to our live stream every Tuesday, well, most Tuesdays, at 10 a.m. Pacific time, which I believe is 1 p.m. Eastern or some other future time in London or Australia. 5 p.m. in London. Uh, Are you sure about that? 100%. No. No, you're right. I'm wrong. It's 6 p.m. in London. It's 6 p.m. in London. They're eight hours ahead. I'm sorry, man. I was just in mountain time. They were seven hours ahead when I was in mountain time. Now I'm back in Pacific. Now they're eight hours ahead. But Arizona right now, they are in mountain standard time still. I I don't think that state exists. (laughs) (laughs) The conspiracy theory is Wyoming doesn't exist, not Arizona. Wait, that's a conspiracy? (laughs) All right, I'm going to get us back on track here. Why? Because we're doing our best to keep these episodes. We listen to you, patrons. These episodes, uh, maximal episodes, around two hours long. I know as we Ryan's been gone, TK's been here. We've been rather verbose. And especially when Ryan came back for episode 357. I had so much to say. It was three and a half hours. Occasionally, we'll have one of those. But generally, we try to keep these maximal episodes around two hours. The minimal episodes for the public are only about 20 to 30 minutes. So we're trying to give you much, much more as a Patreon subscriber. But we don't want you to have to slog through eight hours. And so... We're doing our best to keep these concise and these maximal episodes around two hours, unless it warrants a longer three-hour conversation. Let's dive into our Patreon live stream. Alabama, what do you got for us? Heya has a question. They said, my immediate family and I use Facebook group chat because group texts tend to not translate well. Do you know of any other options we could use? The chat is what makes it hard to leave Facebook. Oh, on Facebook. Yeah, there's there's so many out there. You, got, um, you can do Signal. You can do uh, WhatsApp, which is still kind of Facebook. Um, you can do what else is out? Uh, there's a million out there. There's and in fact, I would BlackBerry po- Messenger, BlackBerry Messenger. <laughs> yes, I would. Po- I would posit that like something like Signal or WhatsApp is much more conducive than the Messenger because that Messenger they are um, and WhatsApp probably is too, but they're getting so much data from you. Like they're collecting so much data from you on Facebook Messenger. Mm. I mean, it's it's. Mm. Uh, it's not as bad as like what TikTok gets from you, but um, but yeah, there are like Signal's great. It's totally Signal is what filled in the gap when Facebook bought WhatsApp. So the whole thing with WhatsApp was like this end to end, you know, encrypted, yada yada yada. And then Facebook bought it, and they're like, now we have all your data. Mm-hmm. So then someone uh-huh. came up with Signal, and like they do a really good job of like just keeping keeping your stuff safe. So Signal would be my recommendation for you. We got Prof Sean over here. Now I will say this. Let me caveat whatever. Sean's about to say, uh, we aren't <laughs> Apple fanboys over here, except Prof. Sean. He, he, he is a little bit. <laughs> but when TK joined the team, we strongly encouraged mm-hmm. him to get an iPhone, mm-hmm. not because I wanted him to have an Apple product and work his way into their ecosystem, but because we have a group chat that we use everyone here at the minimal. So we actually have two. We have a studio mm-hmm. group chat for everyone in this room. Then we have a broader team group chat, which we call Joy Committee. Mm-hmm. It's our Joy Committee because we don't have meetings. We have Joy Committees uh, because we hate having just standard meetings. So I just call the group Joy Committee. And so having some parity between the Everyone having the same platform allows us to simply use iMessage where we communicate with everyone. The problem with that is, obviously, if one person has the green bubbles... It just messes the whole chat up. Yeah. Yeah. You can't send all the videos that you want to send and all this other stuff. So TK was kind enough to conform, and he's the biggest nonconformist I've ever met. (laughs) But he was willing to make one tiny concession for us. It does make all the And I appreciate that, TK. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. Prof. Sean, you had something. Whatever it takes. 
was just going to say that WhatsApp still is in end-to-end encrypted. Mm-hmm. Facebook was going to unencrypt it and walked that back. Um, oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Facebook Messenger is not end-to-end encrypted by default. You can turn it on on a per-conversation basis. Uh, I did not know that. Okay. iMessage is end-to-end encrypted, and of course, Signal is end-to-end encrypted. Any other apps that you might recommend, Professor Sean? No, just something end-to-end encrypted. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I also I also recommend looking for ways to get off group chat. Besides the two that we have for the projects that we're working on here, I've deleted all my group chats. I've even had people call me or text me, be like, "Hey, why'd you get out of the group chat? It's just too much, too many notifications, too messy." Just one person in the group can contact me once y'all figure it all out and let me know where to be and what time. And if Mm -hmm. it's something that you truly want my input on, y'all can work it out without me. And if I need to be there, then just hit me up individually. But Mm. I, I, I don't do the 30 notifications thing for stuff that I got to go catch up on. It's just too much. Dresses me out too. Man. Yeah. And yeah. I avoid adding more noise to any group chat. I'm yeah. part of a bunch of what I would call micro group chats. It's yeah. like me, Ryan, me and Ryan, both of our wives are in a group chat. This is called Pizza Pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many pictures of pizza in there. <laughs> And and like we just send funny things to each other, yeah. maybe I don't know, twice a month or something, like right? A podcast recommendation or yeah, I think y'all would find value in this, and 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 it's easier than me texting everyone individually. But if it was just Ryan who I thought would find value in, I'm not going to send it to that particular group chat. Yeah. We can over communicate, and it actually hurts our relationship with other people. Yeah, I have another one called How to Write Gooder. It is just me and both Sean's, Professor Sean and Podcast Sean, mm-hmm. who are the two most talented editors that I know. And so whenever we have, like this morning, we were working out these minimal maxims. So each episode in these production notes, we have seven different minimal maxims. And the one we were working on was for a question for that Lynn had earlier about just-in-case friends. When I said just-in-case friends aren't friends at all, all three of us had a different perspective on this sentence. Would you put just-in-case in quotes? Would you hyphenate just-in-case because it's a compound adjective? Would you put just-in-case friends in quotes and then hyphenate just-in-case? And so like, we get really, really technical. And then what happens is podcast Sean, he'll break out his OED. and This and- is the strangest kink I've ever heard of. <laughs> 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 I'm not kink shaming. I have a story I can't tell even on the private podcast. <laughs> Man, I don't mean I don't mean strange in a bad way. By the way, <laughs> no, no, no. no. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, the so these micro group chats they allow me to have these different groups of friends, people that I trust that I want to share small things with. Yeah. That would actually be ruined if I had 30 people in the group chat. Yeah. And so keeping that in mind is important. Patrons, drop your questions and comments in the chat. We'll get to some more of those later. But right now, let's read some more about Les. This is from a long time ago, Ryan. You and I went on the smallest tour we ever went on in 2013. Mm-hmm. We called it the Alberta Mini Tour. Right. It was June of 2013. And I believe Colin Wright went with us. Mm-hmm. We lived in Montana at the time. We drove up from Missoula and went to Calgary and Edmonton. And this essay came from that experience, one of our tour stops up there at a Chapters bookstore in Calgary. A few years back, during our first tour of the Maple Leaf Leaf North, we stood amid alphabetical rows of endless bookshelves, basking in Calgary's, in a Calgary bookstore's fluorescent glow, answering questions at the end of our talk in front of a few hundred smiling Canadians. And then, a heckler. <laughs> It happens in almost every city. 
someone projects their fears, expectations, and insecurities onto us. You guys aren't real minimalists because you drive a car, you own a smartphone, you sell books, you whatever. It happens so frequently that we're now uh, inoculated to the criticism. Whenever you do something meaningful, people will judge you. So, so what? Let them. Judgment is but a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. But this time, in this Albertan bookshop, it was different. Toward the back of the crowd, a man in his mid-40s raised his hand and, in an aggressive tone, said, I don't have a question. I have a comment. (laughs) The crowd hushed, waited. I had to get rid of my bed because of you two, the heckler said. (laughs) Excuse me, Ryan said. (laughs) Because of this whole minimalism thing, my wife and I had to get rid of our bed, he said, louder this time, furrowing his brow and gesturing toward the woman at his right. Why, I asked. We've never told anyone to get rid of their own bed. I own a bed. Ryan owns a bed. I wouldn't. I don't think you understand me, he interrupted, his arms gesticulating wildly, a manic look on his features. My wife found your website earlier this year, and we had to get rid of our bed. But why would you? Our marriage was ending, he cut in again. After two decades, we had become roommates, not a married couple. We were staying together just for the kids. The entire crowd was rubbernecking now staring at the couple. Then my wife found your website and she started simplifying without telling me. She was letting go of everything that didn't add value to our lives. Uh Uh-oh, Ryan muttered. That's right. She found your 2020 rule and then your 90-90 rule. She was even playing the minimalism game with her friends. Hmm, I pondered aloud. In just a few months, But in just a few months, I noticed something was different. Our house was cleaner, tidier, less cluttered, but more important, something was different with my wife. She seemed happier, calmer, less stressed. And she was being nicer to me, which forced me to notice how um, not nice I was being to her Hmm. and to our kids and to everyone in my life. But then I realized I could be nice too. My wife had changed, so that meant I could change too. It was my decision. We both nodded and continued listening. Maybe this wasn't a heckler after all. For the first time in years, he said, with much of our excess junk out of the way, my wife and I started talking again. We were actually communicating with each other. We started having discussions we hadn't had in years. Dreams, goals, priorities. Everything was on the table. A huge smile broke across the man's glowing face. Then something amazing happened. We started having sex again. Lots of sex. Crazy sex. Great sex. So much sex that our teenage kids complained (laughs) that our bed was too loud. He clapped his hands to mimic their headboard, banging against the wall. Bang, 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 bang. Laughter overcame the crowd. So we got rid of our bed, too. And with less stuff, we found ourselves, we found the couple 
who had been buried underneath decades of clutter. That essay's called Less Stuff, More Sex. He baited us so good. Dang. That was, he, he intentionally baited us. He did a really good job of it, too. What a brilliant man to take that risk. Because at any point, you guys could have felt like this was getting out of control and just, like, cut him off and end at the moment. I mean, that does yeah, happen, though. It could. I don't, yeah. It, yeah. And so for him to yeah. take that chance That's true. just That's to be true. able to get that dramatic effect. Ooh, yeah, was, that's a good story. Would you? I don't think I'd ever cut someone, unless they were being belligerent or something, I don't think I would cut someone off though. Well, I remember in Boston recently, someone was pretty drunk and it was like, Lisa Lampanelli was there and we were finally oh, like, all right, lady, you have to like... Right, there's a question mark at the end of this, right? Yeah, and I would yeah. do that quite often in our live events, making sure that their sure. statement is appended with some sort of question because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's, it's, well... It's kind of rude to the other people who are there to experience the event, right? Yeah. We're not there for that person. Yeah. We're there for the whole audience. Yeah. But TK, you're right, man. Like he he didn't know that we wouldn't cut him off. I mean, that's right. that was a pretty big risk. And yeah. he 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 did. I just he betted us so good. My heart's starting to pump. I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm gonna have to like, you know, address this criticism. Yeah, no, it was great. The moral of the story is there are unexpected benefits of simplifying. Yes, they had less clutter in their lives, but their marriage was essentially over. And now they were having so much sex that their kids were complaining. And the funny thing is about this, I remember we moved into our new house and Bex and I have a lot of sex. Bex rhymes with sex. <gasps> oh my God. W- you guys was that have your a- pickup line? No, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we met oh, now realizing this. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sexy Bexy. She doesn't like when I call her that, but I do all the time. <laughs> uh, and we talk about that on her podcast, How to Love. And, uh, one thing that we noticed when we first moved into our new house is we placed Ella's bedroom next to ours. Mm. And I was like, "Uh oh, mm. this can. And I thought of this essay that I wrote from back in 2013. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> we're loud. Mm-hmm. And so like, we need to, we had two bedrooms. Ella's bedroom needs to go as far away as possible. Mm-hmm. And so we just moved her to the other side. And now we have an office and a bathroom, two bathrooms in between us at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's just provide enough uh, sound dampening that we can still have fun in the bedroom. And we got to keep our bed. So <laughs> how great is that? <laughs> Let's move on to talk aboutables. This is a little segment where we talk about things, maybe they're current events, maybe they're things that are bugging us. Maybe it's things that we can disagree about, or maybe it's just happenings, things that have been going on with us recently. So Ryan, I want to hear about your Burning Man experience. But before we do that, mm-hmm. TK Coleman was gone for part of the week last week. He went down to North Carolina to speak to a high school. And by the way, he's he's the education director at Fee. And you can get him to come speak to your high school at no cost. If you can get 100 or more students together, he'll be willing to do that. Just send a, a email to podcast at minimalists.com. Tell me about the experience you had in North Carolina last week. Yeah, so there's a really cool school in North Carolina that's doing a lot of interesting things. It's Pinnacle Classical Academy. And their education model, it's a charter school, is based on character training. And they want to teach students not just math and history and English, but also what it means to live a virtuous life. Things like empathy, compassion, generosity, self-ownership, you know, helping them develop a sense of agency and autonomy. And I helped develop a a sort of mini uh, curriculum where they have videos that they watch every month that talk about different aspects of of character and the challenges that we face along the way of developing character. And so I I typically go to that school once a year to talk to all of the students about, about these ideas. 
And it was just really awesome to be back in the Carolinas because we moved from South Carolina to come come here. Uh, I remember the first time I I felt that humidity. I was like, oh gosh, I can't do this. But this time when I felt the humidity, I was like, hey, that feels like home. (laughs) But it was just great to be around the students. And one of the coolest things is I not only spoke to the high school students, but I also spoke to the third graders. And um, hmm. the, the teachers were wondering how they were going to handle it because it was it was their first time. There was like about 100 or so third graders. And um, they were so energetic and so engaged. They were like more engaged than the high school students. When I got to the Q&A, all of the hands went up oh, and, awesome. and they were asking great questions. What kind of questions would a third grader ask you? So, you know, I, I told a story about when, when, when I was really bad at basketball and, and I was trying to dribble and, and it kept messing up. And, and my uh, coach says, if you're not making mistakes, you're doing it wrong. And, and I said, what could he possibly mean? Is it a mistake, a sign that you're doing something wrong? And all the hands went up. And I call in a random student. And one student would say, well, I, I, I think he meant that um, you have to keep trying in order to get something right. Huh. Like, yeah, that's right. Anybody else? <laughs> I think he meant that uh, you're doing it wrong because you're giving up just because you're making mistakes? Like, yeah, that's right. And, and so when it was time for Q&A, they'd ask me stuff about that. they say, hey, did you ever get good at basketball? And I'd be like, no. Uh, <laughs> but that's not the point Why of the story, Why do you think story, I'm talking kid. in front of you here today, kids? <laughs> Next question. That's a terrible question, kid. But they'd ask me stuff like that. And yeah. it was just like really cool, really wonderful experience. So it, it's something that I love doing. Um, and I mean, just really watching the way their eyes light up when someone is talking to them from the vantage point of like, hey, you have a lot of possibilities in life. And I'm going to make a case for that, not just by giving you motivational fluff, but I'm going to tell you stories, fictional and real, that can help your imagination come alive and see that these possibilities aren't just true for your heroes, but that they're true for you. You have things that you want to be good at, even at this early age. And approaching those things in a certain way are the key to becoming the kind of person that's going to be able to be successful in, in things later on in life. So anyway, it was just a great time. Big shout out to Pinnacle Classical Academy and all the great work that they're doing. And a uh, big shout out to Foundation for Economic Education for making those things possible. I like Thank you. the approach that is different from a traditional system, right? Yeah. Not, not that a traditional system is inherently bad or evil. There are reasons that traditions exist quite often, right? But if we don't stop to question those norms, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, Ella is starting her new unschooling program. And she said, well, I'm going into the fourth grade now. But she doesn't have grades anymore. There are no yeah. more grades. And yeah. she was she was like really struggling to grasp that because yeah. she's like, but I'm supposed to be going to fourth grade. I said, according to who? Mm. Well, according to me. Mm. And as soon as she realized that, it was a way to start letting go of it because TK said something really profound while you were gone, Ryan. He was talking about how um, it's the only place in the world where we group people together by that one age. Like Ryan and I were friends because we're in the same grade together. Yeah. And it just happened that we coincided in terms of our personalities, values, yin and yang, mm-hmm. whatever it was, right? Yeah. And we were able to bring that forward. But most of the people that we hung out with, just because they're the same age as, as us, proximity does not produce a meaningful relationship. Yeah. And so yeah. she's not in a class. She's not in the grade anymore. She is in the green group now. Yeah. And there are teenagers there. There are kids younger than her. And simply understanding that, oh, I don't have to be part of a grade 
It's way more expansive than that because that's how the real world is. Mm. Ryan, I want to hear about your Burning Man experience as our next talk aboutable. So you spent some time. Yeah. Out in the desert. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Inhaling dust and dirt and uh, (laughs) Black Rock City. Tell me about it. Yeah, man. Uh, I'll tell you what I could tell you in five minutes. Um, If you ask, uh, you know, 100 people from Burning Man, like, hey, what is Burning Man? You're going to get 100 different answers. You might get 1,000 different answers if you ask 1,000 different people. Um, But all I can say is, like, you you think you know what it's going to be. You look at Instagram. You... Read blogs. You you know you do all the research. You prepare as much as you can, and it, it nothing can prepare you for your first Burning Man experience because it's like it's everything. It's it's uh it's um I don't know. Just imagine everything that humanity has to offer. It's all right there, and everyone is there to um, provide that for each other. And uh, that's what really attracted me to go was this giving community mm-hmm. of eighty thousand people. I mean, what is not a- appealing about that? Like, I got to check this out. And I'm glad I did. It was freaking awesome. I'll, I can tell you about like, I don't know, man, like some of the biggest things I got from it, um, which is interesting because I went there expecting to to give a little bit, um, but mostly wanted to like, you know, I wanted to maybe have like a spiritual experience or different perspective on things. And I did get those things. But that was like 10 or 20% of it. I ended up um, giving a lot to, to, uh, yeah, to just different people, man. I mean, just, um, you know how I love to make new friends everywhere I go. Yes, indeed. And it's very easy to do that at Burning Man. And I made some amazing connections. And, uh, what I realized, one of the things I realized about Burning Man is, um, well, you know how I I always kind of mentioned that we're all processing trauma, Mm -hmm. every single one of us, man. And at Burning Man, that's what they're doing. They are, they're going there to release. I mean, that's the whole thing of burning the man down is, is this release letting go. And, um, I was able to like really help people let go of some of their traumas, um, during the week. And it was like, it just felt so good, man. Cause you know, yeah. I love to give advice. Yeah. Hey, I, Josh and I made a living out of it. We all three made a living out of it, but sometimes I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm like, I give too much advice. I give too much advice, but like a burning man, like people were just like starving for like a different perspective. And I was able to do that a lot, man. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Um, you have an example of one way that you contributed to someone? Oh yeah. I mean, real quick, like I met one gentleman, uh, we were waiting in line to get some cider and, uh, I, I, you know, within the first 30 seconds, I, you know, he had mentioned to me that like, he doesn't talk to his dad and, um, you know, I kind of, I can relate with that. And so I just talked to him about relationship with my parents and kind of things that I've been able to help myself overcome with them and, and have a deeper relationship with them. And the biggest thing was, you know, hey man, um, you know, you've got your parents, like I, un- I understand that you feel like they owe you something, but they don't owe you anything. And if you want your parents to like really respect your battles, like you have to respect theirs first. And that sucks because it's almost like you have to be their parent. And um, you would have thought I would have given them like the winning lottery numbers or something. I mean, he like the look, like he started tearing up. It was, it was amazing. It was beautiful. Let me tell you the biggest thing I got out of it is so. So there are these 10 principles with, um, with Burning Man and one, like it's, Oh yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah. So it's like radical expression, radical self-reliance. I'm only going the ones I remember. I don't remember all 10 of them. One of them is radical inclusion though. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's cool about Burning Man is you can go there, you can do whatever you want. You can release whatever you want to release. You can dress however you want. You you can be yourself 100% and you will feel included. 
So we go to this venue um, to listen to some music. And I'm with some of these uh, people from my camp. And um, they're all they're all over 50. Like they're all, you know, some older folks. And um, we're having a blast. We're just kind of, you know, laughing and dancing. And then all of a sudden on the other side of the dance floor, I see this dude waving. It's huge. Let's go Brandon Fletcher. <laughs> Let's go Brandon Fletcher. man. I am instantly like, this is about inclusion. This doesn't feel like inclusion to me. No, it's not. This feels like separation. Yes. And so I look over at one of my campmates. I'm like, can you believe this? And like, we start feeding off each other. And then it hits me. Radical inclusion. And I, lo- I look at my campmate. I'm like, how dare us? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, we can't pick and choose what we want to include. Like, if we want to do radical inclusion, we have to include everybody. It doesn't mean you agree with them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you think that they're morally right. It doesn't mean that you think that they're living their life the, the right way, but you can at least make them feel included. Yeah. And that's a great first step. So I go from anger to like, um, I go from anger to um, this realization to like letting go. And then, and now I got to push through. Now I'm like, I got to push through this judgment that I have. So I look at my camp, man. I'm like, I'm going to go over and give this dude a hug. And she was like, what? Mm. And I'm like, I'm embracing it. I was like, I'm pushing. This is so uncomfortable for me. Like I'm, I'm pushing through this. She's like, you know what? That's, that's a good idea. So I head on over there. Dude, just like waving. He's like dancing, waving his flag. And uh, I go up to him. I'm like, hey, man, so glad you're here. He's like, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Are you having a good time? He's like, yeah, I'm having a blast, man. Waving his flag high. I said, are you hugging? He's like, yeah, I am hugging. Bring it in, man. So I go up to give him a hug. I'm like, hey, man, my name's Ryan. What's your name? Brandon. It was so, it was the best lesson I ever had in my life. It was so, I went from like, angry to release to like pushing through discomfort to like i could not stop laughing i'm like this guy's a genius mm. it was so good man it was um that was just one of the many many experiences and i could i could give you 10 more but um i heard the bell like three minutes ago so i'm gonna let it go oh, <laughs> that's beautiful wow thanks for sharing that we're gonna pivot to something else that is that involves some so trauma good. so you know i always joke about how i love watching canadian rap battles <laughs> because <laughs> it sounds like an oxymoron right right <clears throat> but there is a guy named pat stay who is generally regarded as one of the five or ten best battle rappers of all time by uh people who are fans of that community and battle rap is different from people who make music generally people who do you know, battle rap don't do a great job making music making actual tracks mm, right, right? Mm-hmm. it doesn't always translate right it's a different type of scale i enjoy it too. Yeah, yeah yeah and so uh, just a couple of days ago from when we're recording this, literally two days ago, Pat Stay was stabbed to death. Oh, wow. And um, not during a, a battle, but like, and so this morning I was driving down here and I was stuck in traffic for over two hours. I was just watching, not watching, listening to his old, like those old battles that he did. And so stay tuned to the end, very, very end of this, after our added value, very end of the maximal episode. We'll throw a little Easter egg in there. You can get a little sample. But the reason that I really enjoy um, rap battles in general, but especially Pat Stay, is he approached it in a way that was, there was so much levity and humor, even when he was 
attacking you, so to speak. In fact, my favorite, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. He, he did a compliment battle with a guy. <laughs> that's it's great. so good. Oh, that's awesome. With a guy named Roan, R-O-N-E. So Pat Stan, Roan, compliment battle. And they're just going at each other to see who's the nicest, the kindest, who has the largest genitalia, whatever it is, right? <laughs> and what I loved about it is I've always loved words, whether it's David Foster Wallace or Raz Kaz or, or whomever. Like I love when people play around with words, when they are able to take words and stretch them and do different things with them and use homonyms. And, and they just do something with the language that I absolutely am enamored with, the English language, and bending it in ways that aren't English traditionally, you know, not the Queen's English, but it's doing something. It's art. And it's taking language. And it's really unfortunate. This guy, Pat Stay, he was breaking up a fight in Halifax where he lives. And someone stabbed him to death while breaking up the fight. And I just wanted to just take a moment to recognize him and acknowledge him. And at the end of this episode, you'll hear a nice little one-minute snippet from one of his battles that I thought displays his prowess. But I'll tell you one thing that I saw recently. He has a five-year-old son, and I saw things he was posting recently about you know, not being around forever and trying to teach certain lessons to his son. And it seemed to me the same thing as with our friend Stan. Our friend Stan, who died at age 36, the same age as Pat Stay, they start to realize these lessons around that age that, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. And thankfully, he lived a life. Stan did, and it appears to me that Pat Stay did as well. I didn't talk to you about this yet because we had to cancel both of our Canadian tour stops, but Pat was supposed to open up at our Toronto tour stop. Oh, wow. Uh, to do some spoken word poetry at the uh, the beginning of the tour stop. And so I don't know the guy. I've, I've never met him. We just worked on, on booking it because we often book musicians at the beginning of our events. And now that's never going to happen. And so I just wanted to acknowledge him and say, yeah, I, everything that I enjoy about, about language and words and humor, the way that he used humor, it was, it was so beautiful. So you'll get to appreciate that at the end of the episode. I'd like to pivot to something mm. a bit more upbeat I, come up with, I came up with a new rule recently, Ryan. TK. <laughs> what is it? I call it the no piles rule. And I learned this recently because Bex is a fan of creating small piles in our house. <laughs> I feel like we should have just bought the domain, the OCDists. <laughs> That's pretty the good. The Octists. <laughs> the Obsessives. <laughs> right. <laughs> and... So the, the rule that I have for myself is that I don't want to create... So I'll give you an example. You grab mail from somewhere. You know, oh, go to the mailbox and you pull it out and you sit on top of the counter. I'll deal with that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'll do, and so the no piles rule means I won't go to bed without a pile ha having been eradicated. Mm. So it can be mail. It could be, oh, I need to return this thing. Oh, there's something I need to do in my home, a physical thing that has piled up. And this also translates in other areas of my life as well. You can apply the no piles rule to an email inbox, to a to-do list, because a to-do list is just a pile of things we aspire to get done. And so at the end of the day, I don't want anything on my to-do list. Mm. Now, I could move it. I could simply delete it. 
I can move it to my someday list, mm-hmm. which is like, hey, there are some things that I know I want to get to someday, but I'm not prepared to spend the resources on that right now. And the same thing is true with the junk, the junk mail, anything that is in my house. Oh, I need to donate these clothes, whatever it might be. No more piles. I call it the no piles rule because I don't, it's so easy for things to pile up. One yeah. envelope can turn into 10 and 10 envelopes. And then we just do what? We shove it into a junk drawer and the junk drawer fills up. And before we know it, we have a second junk drawer that's filled up with all of these things that we simply, if we had eradicated it when it first came into the house, it wouldn't be this giant problem, this giant burden that is weighing on us day after day after day. Hmm. Man, you know, you make me think of something that uh, David Allen, the author of Getting Things Done, says, which is uh, the mind is for having ideas, not holding them. And the more pressure you put on your mind to hold things by giving it the job of reminding you of what needs to be done or, you know, nagging you about the stuff that you're procrastinating on, the more compromised your mind's ability to generate ideas will be. And so he has this idea that one of the reasons why we have such a hard time thinking creatively and clearly about achieving our goals is because we got stuff like that. We got too many piles. And because our mind wants to protect us, it's going to protect us in the form of stress and tension and anxiety. Like, hey, I don't want you to lose that life. You got some stuff to think about. And, and, and there, is a, there is a pragmatism in eliminating those piles that goes beyond mere neatness. The, the outward orderliness that we, creates, that we create becomes internalized as a sort of inner freedom that generates more creative ideas so that we can make more beauty happen in life. So that's mm. a powerful rule, man, and I, I need to be a little more accountable to that. And to be clear, the problem is not Beck's at all. The problem is mine, right? She yeah. can pile up anything and she's totally fine with it, right? Because she'll deal, she literally will. She's like, if she started a website, it'd be the moderateists because <laughs> she knows that, you know, I'll deal with it within the next 72 hours because it's on my priority list. And I, but for me, it simply drives me insane. And that mental clutter that it creates is a way for me to say, hey, I'm going to not just take the burden off of my plate. I'm going to take it off yours as well because Bex, I recognize it's not your problem. It is my problem. So let me handle it as opposed to blaming you for some upset that I'm feeling with inside me. I didn't realize how to-do lists are like these 2D versions of piles. <laughs> that's pretty insightful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, no, it's a great rule. Let's, uh, we'll just, we'll just have to rewrite the whole minimalist rule book again now. <laughs> <laughs> 17 rules for living with less. Right. I, I got a question for you, man. Because you, you being so OCD, you're usually the one that's driving and conducting the need to be meticulous. Has the shoe ever been on the other foot for you? Have you ever been in a, in a relationship, business, romance, whatever, where the other person was like really pushing you to be more meticulous than you naturally were? You have no idea. Josh allows onions and garlic in the house because Bex really likes it. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to you is yes. I, one that really stands out to me, I work with, worked with a guy named Matt Roberts. And I managed a retail store in Cincinnati, and he was an assistant manager there. And Matt Roberts was as 
compulsive as I was obsessive. <laughs> and I loved and appreciated it because together it was like a superpower. Our store was pristine. <laughs> the employees were in line. Like I felt like everything was functioning. And so in a weird way, I thought at first it would drive me insane, but it multiplied what was going on around us. And it felt really, it felt great to me. Yeah, fascinating. I want to talk to you both about procrastination. We talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> Can't set me up like that. Come on, man. Can't you set me up like that. I tried to come back. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> so I there was an there was a video I needed to review that Jordan had sent me, and I'm really good at setting a deadline for those for myself, reviewing them on time. But then there are other things where I'm putting off an email that may have taken three minutes to respond to, or maybe just there's some task that takes me 15 minutes. But in my mind, I've built it up to where it's this insurmountable thing. I don't want to deal with this, so I keep putting it off. And so I asked myself a question recently, like, why have I been putting this off? So to-do items, like the big one for me is phone calls. Mm. I have to call. So I just don't enjoy being on the phone. When Ryan and I were in the corporate world together, average month was 5,000 to 7,000 minutes a month on the phone, right? And so we were on the phone all day. And so I developed this sort of peanut allergy, except it's to phone calls. And that allergy has stuck with me. Now, the irony of that is usually the phone call is never as big as I make it out to be. Like, it's a three-minute call. Why didn't I just hurry up and make that phone call and take it off the plate instead of worrying about it? Because it's creating all of the psychological clutter, this tension in me. And all of a sudden, you know, the molehill does turn into a mountain. And then as soon as I get close to it, I realize like, oh, no, I was just traversing a molehill. It wasn't a big deal at all. And I was wondering... Is there anything that you guys run into? Like, is it phone calls? Is it emails? Mm. Is there one thing that you put off regularly? And as soon as I recognize for phone calls for me, now it, it's what I do is I just put it on the first on my list. Mm. I do those right away. And I realize like, oh, no, it was three minutes here. It was five minutes here. Or yes, I had an hour long call. But so what? I got it out of the way and I got everything done that I needed to get done. Mm. And I could stop worrying about it. And in fact, doing it gave me the permission to stop worrying about it. Mm. What do you put off, TK? Reading is something that's easy for me to procrastinate on. Mm. Yeah, and, likewise. And this is a good example for me because it's not the sort of thing I need other people to motivate me to do. I don't have anybody in my life that's ever like, hey, you need to read. You need to read more. Um, if anything, people play the opposite role. But that's something that I enjoy doing. Mm. And it's easy for me to build up in my imagination a story that says it's not meaningful, fun, or beneficial unless I've got a solid three hours to have unbroken focus and just do a deep dive into a book, you know, REM reading, so to speak. Mm, yes. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. You might occasionally get a day where the REM reading is, is, is an easy state to get into, but for the most part, it's one of those things that you just have to make happen in life. And so... I, I have to constantly bring up my stories for negotiation and, and, and say, hey, look, man, you can tell yourself that story, but that's going to lead you to a life where you never do things that you enjoy. You can have an alternative story where you say, hey, look, it's okay to have a day where I just read two pages. 
the consistency and the momentum is more important. And when you have that moment where three hours opens up, you'll be more likely to take advantage of it because you've built up the habits on those days where you've only got about 10 minutes here or 20 minutes there. Mm. Uh, taxes. Mm. <laughs> like Angel, yeah, that's a good one. Angel, um, who's amazing. She's, uh, you know, part of our uh, CPA company that we, she calls me up. She's like, you got to do your taxes, man. <laughs> like, yeah. You cannot put this off any longer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but I'm going to Burning Man. She's like, go to Burning Man. But when you come back to your taxes, <laughs> I actually got them done before I went. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, any, any type of like, um, clerical work mm -hmm. like that, I'm always trying to put that off. It just, it drives, it's tedious. It's kind of like my, uh, like my physical therapy exercises, which I also procrastinate because physical therapy, it doesn't feel like I'm actually doing anything. Right. I know intellectually, I know I am, but emotionally I'm like, this is, I'd rather go to the gym for three hours and like hit it hard, get a good sweat, go to get, get a good pump. Um, but then like doing those 20 minute PT exercises, I'm like, yeah, I put those off too. So yeah, there's a couple things I put off. Mm. Yeah. But I'm also ADD. I'm like, I mean, I used to be king procrastinator. Now I'm like prince cro procrastinator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, so, but there is room to to question some of the assumptions we make about procrastination. Like usually when people say things like, hey, I have a problem with procrastination or what are some tips for how I can overcome procrastination? They're not questioning the activity that they're procrastinating about. They're just questioning themselves for procrastinating. Sometimes if you have a tendency to procrastinate, that might be evidence that you can afford to re-examine that activity itself. Hmm. It, it, it may be an opportunity to ask yourself if, if this is something that I need to be doing or if this is something that I'm doing for the right reason. That's not always true, but sometimes when we struggle with procrastination, it's a sign that we're forcing ourselves to do things that perhaps don't reflect our, our true values. Yeah, I think that's true. I often will simply delete things on my to-do list instead of doing them. Yeah. And I found that sometimes just deleting them is better than doing them Ooh, at mm, all. Mm. Let's move on to some of our simple living segments we have here. We've got a little segment called Amass It or Trash It. This is where listeners send in items that they want to keep or let go of. Maybe they're struggling to let go of them. You can send yours to podcast at theminimalists.com. And unfortunately, we don't have one this week because <laughs> no listeners sent in an amass it or trash it. And so we'll wait till next week. If you send in your amass it or trash it, just send us a picture to podcast.theminimalist.com. Let us know what you're struggling to get rid of. Maybe it's that old basketball trophy. Maybe it's your great aunt's quilt. Maybe it is a hobby that you're well, still tied to, even though you don't play tennis anymore, but you want to hold on to that tennis racket just in case I decide to play an emergency game of tennis at some point in the future. <laughs> emergency game of tennis. <laughs> hey, hey, if we go another week, because this is the second week, right, where we don't have a... Maybe, yeah. Yeah, this is the second week in a row. If we go another week without an amass it or trash it, can we talk about the category itself as a candidate. That's, for a what, I was, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, maybe it's not on our readers. Maybe it's the segment we chose to start doing. I mean, it, it can be up for discussion. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about it. So if you want this segment to continue, patrons, let us know in the comments. If you're like, ah, I don't really care for that segment anyway, let us know in the comments. That's great. Or I would love if you got an idea for a segment that we haven't thought of, give us an idea for a segment. I mean, yeah. we're just trying to make, you know, we're trying to make, make have a little fun. Josh is allergic to fun. 
Um, but we're trying to get him, we're trying to get him acclimated to it in small doses. <laughs> now I've been vaccinated against fun. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, double boosted. <laughs> double boosted. Yeah, there will be no fun on this side of the table. <laughs> Next segment is called impulse purchases. We're at the same deficit here, gentlemen. <laughs> We uh, no one sent in their impulse purchases. The podcast at theminimalist.com. So we originally called this checkout line wisdom. We changed the the title of it because really it's about these things that we see when we go to a store or when we're scrolling through Instagram, whatever it might be. Someone is trying to pique our interest enough to create that moment of panic, mm. that impulse inside us. If I buy this thing, I'll be more complete. Or if I don't buy this thing, I will be missing out. Mm. Now's my chance. I'm here at the store. I'd be dumb not to buy it. I'd be missing out. I'd be incomplete. And therefore, I'm going to buy it right now. Even though you walked into the store or you walked into the Instagram app and you didn't anticipate needing that thing at all. But now as soon as you've seen it, you can't imagine your life without it, even though you haven't even possessed it ever. And so impulse purchase is a little segment what we're, uh, we're doing here. You can send your candidates for impulse purchase at podcast at theminimalists.com. Let's move on to advertisements suck. Oh, this is a segment with endless, endless examples of <laughs> sucky ads because... <laughs> They don't stop being sucky. Now, last week, Ryan, we actually showed an example of the rare example of a non-sucky ad of a oh wow cool. uh, of, of a art. And now, one might argue that maybe it wasn't even an advertisement. Maybe it was a sponsorship. We can we can parse out the language here. It was Kendrick Lamar and Cash App hired him to make this piece of art, uh, and it was encouraging sort of financial literacy and communication. And it was a beautiful piece of art. I thought it was really well done. And so I wanted to highlight that not all ads are necessarily sucky. It's just most of them are pretty gross. Yeah. Here's one that we have today. What do you got for us, Danny, on the screen? Oh, who sent this to me? Was this was this Jordan? I think this is Jordan. Is so, that? That is Garth from Wayne's World. Oh, my goodness. Alabama. If you're watching the video version of this, you'll see above my left shoulder here, the this isn't an actual ad, but it. I think is a commentary on virtually all ads, especially in the internet space. It's a meme about ads. Mm. And this is Garth from Wayne's World. Alabama, can you tell me what it says here on the uh, on this meme? I feel like I need to do a Wayne's World voice for this and I'm not going to do a good job. <laughs> it's like people only do things because they get paid and that's just really sad. That was that was pretty that was that I was a good I've seen Wayne's Garth. World that's, in like a decade and a half. That was a good that's that was pretty a good. pretty good Garth. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's solid. Uh, yeah. I think that is my biggest problem with that. So this isn't an actual ad itself. We'll, yeah. we'll get back to regular ads next week. And by the way, if you have some really sucky ads, you can send them to podcast at theminimalists.com. Yeah. But TK, I know you and I often differ on this subject, but I think we differ like 10, per, 10 degrees of separation. Mm -hmm. That's not a 180 degree difference here. And we both recognize that there can be a way for folks to do ads. But when it becomes this, when we're doing things only for the money, it's what Ryan was talking about earlier. Money is in the vehicle. But as soon as we hand the keys over to money, it starts drunk driving all over our lives. Mm. And it's no wonder that we start facing all of these like 
we see the vapid ads everywhere and they've become commonplace so much so that we take them for granted. Well, why do we take them for granted? Well, one reason is we're not willing to pay for YouTube premium or we're not willing to pay for the thing without ads, right? Mm -hmm. We're not willing to support creators and artists on ad-free platforms. And I find this now, even when we do Sunday symposiums, right? So we do this event in LA called Sunday Symposium. And we make half the tickets free. At least we have been making half the tickets free. Mm -hmm. And immediately all 100 free tickets sell out. Like within an hour. Right. They're just gone. And then like seven of the pay for tickets sell Mm -hmm. at the same time. And it's true that some people can't afford tickets. And I need some people to, we need people to pay money to subsidize the people who can't afford to pay for a ticket. Yeah. But when people see the free option, they often just go for the free option, not realizing that if something is free and it's completely free, well, how is that thing even paid for, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I'm so grateful for the private podcast subscribers that we have because they help us keep the podcast ad-free. Now, Ryan and I could go back to a broom closet and start recording the podcast on our own mm-hmm. and not make any, like we didn't do we make any money at all from the, just spent money making the podcast for many years, right? Yeah, yeah. And now we use that money that we get from Patreon to pay everyone who's part of the team to help us create something more beautiful. And so we're able to produce something that is special to us, but we need money to do that. But as soon as money is the primary reason for doing what we do, I think it starts to taint the art. So there's a little bit of nuance I want to add in there that I think we agree on but I just want to draw it out and make it explicit because I find particularly working with a lot of high school and college students is sometimes there's this romanticized conception of work that emphasizes passion at the expense of another view of money that older generations embody well that has a lot of value that I, that I think we can learn from. And that is doing something just for the money isn't what the problem is. The problem is when we fail to define the role money plays in our lives in terms of something that is non-monetary. Here's what I mean. My grandfather, for instance, was a mechanic. He didn't love being a mechanic. That wasn't his passion, but it was a skill that he had and he was able to make money that would provide for his family. I think there's great nobility in being able and willing to do something that you don't particularly enjoy because you're able to make money that you can then pour into something that you do enjoy. And I think that's kind of a lost art. And you have a lot of people out there who feel like they're being cheated if they ever have to quote unquote suffer the difficulty of performing a task that isn't fun for the sake of creating value for someone else, receiving wealth in return that they can then you know use to provide for their family. You've got to know who you are. If you're going to be depressed by doing a job that, you know, isn't fun to you, then do everything that you can to create something that feels fun. But I I don't think there's any value in looking down on your work or despising your day job just because it's not your dream. And, and And I know that people who say don't do things just for the money are saying something a little bit more nuanced than that. But I would say define the role that money plays in your life in terms of something other than money, but don't despise doing something difficult or challenging just because it makes money if you can use that money on something else that's important to you. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because we don't want to shame anyone who's yeah. out there like just trying to survive and they got to pick up whatever job they can get to survive. Yeah. yeah. 
Our next segment is called Obsolete Objects. And originally I didn't have one, but then we got this comment on YouTube, which I thought was hilarious. Jessica, social Jess, she called me up yesterday and we were talking about a bunch of things. And we had just posted this video about how sunglasses are now obsolete, right? It was really a conversation Bex and I were having on the podcast with TK. Now, TK never wears sunglasses anyway. What we were saying is sunglasses were obsolete for us. And we realized there's a whole bunch of health reasons that you, uh, it makes sense to eliminate sunglasses from our lives, like resetting our circadian rhythms, if someone's struggling with sleep, but also the vitamin D reaching your eyes specifically was uh, something that is important after looking into some of the data around that. But we weren't prescribing that to anyone else, obviously. You wear your sunglasses if you want. I have no problem with people wearing sunglasses. Although I tried to wear that pair, the pair that I had in the thumbnail for that, because I went and grabbed them for my car. My car has a sunglass holder in it, which I can't really use for anything else. Mm-hmm. But I tried to wear them in a particularly bright place the other day. And I just realized since I haven't worn them for a long time, and I go to the beach all the time, I don't wear them there either. I realized that, wait a minute, like these are really uncomfortable for me. Mm. And I didn't realize how uncomfortable they were because I had just uh, acclimated to it. But someone in the comments on YouTube, Jessica told me, they said, oh, well, give me a break. What's he going to say next? sunscreen is obsolete? <laughs> well, yeah, I am going to say that next. So that is my uh, that, that is my obsolete object for this week is I generally don't use sunscreen anymore. I'm not prescribing that to anyone else. Now, if I'm going to spend an extended period of time in the sun because I'm relatively pale, like relative to Ryan or TK, I'm relatively pale, then I, but I've become acclimated to the sun. And so I can spend, like yesterday, I spent several hours out in the sun and it was totally fine. And people say, well, what about, what about skin cancer? Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of research now that shows us that skin care is most likely linked to linoleic acid, which we find in seed oils. And I don't consume seed oils. And therefore I found that it's a choice. If I started consuming seed oils, it would probably make a lot more sense to put on sunscreen. And again, I don't prescribe this to anyone, but the the important thing about this segment is, would your life be okay or even better, perhaps, without this object? And for me, not having to worry about sunscreen is a wonderful thing. I also remember (laughs) growing up, my brother, because he always saw me putting sunscreen on, he's about TK's complexion. He would put sunscreen on as well (laughs) because he didn't want to get burnt. And it was like, well, no, it's not how that works, right? If you are more melanated than me, then you don't ever have to worry about getting burned mm-hmm. in the sun. And so sunscreen is personal. It's perspectival. And I'm not mm. prescribing any of this to anyone. Yeah. Consult your doctor before you stop using sunscreen. We don't give out <laughs> medical advice here. Well, we don't give out any advice here. So or at least I don't. You want to hear my sunscreen story? Go for it. My my wife uh, borrowed my book bag one time and went to the beach. And, um, you know, just a, a day or two after that, I had to go out of town. And so I'm going through the airport and I'm going through security and my bag sets off the alarm and uh, they, they look through my bag. They don't find anything. They roll it through and it just keeps setting it off. And it's to the point now where like the other TSA people are getting interested because this is a really enigma. Like, what does this dude have in his bag? Why can't we find it? And why does the alarm keep getting set off? And so people are starting to kind of slow down and look and watch. And they just really dig through. And finally, someone finds this little bottle of sunscreen. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, my wife put that in there. 
the other day when, we were, when she went to the beach. Oh, okay, okay. And so they threw it out and I grabbed my bag. And as I started to walk off, a TSA guy from like a little bit of a distance shouts out to the other, hey, what was it? What was in his bag? Because they're all so confused. And it feels like everyone in the airport stops and I like try to speed up to get out of there. <laughs> and the other TSA guy goes, it was sunscreen. <laughs> and, like, oh and I just scurry off to my gate. <laughs> Obsolete in my life from that day forward. <laughs> Let's move on to the Photo Friday home tour. This is number eight in our series. If you are a subscriber to the video version of the podcast, you'll see it on the screen. But also last Friday or every Friday, we send out just a picture of one of our homes. And this is something a little bit different this time. The title of this one is called Access Outshines Ownership. And TK, I think it was you when we were walking this morning for the thumbnail photo. You were asking me, because we had just moved up to Ventura County and, and you were like, what is something that really stands out to you? What, yeah. what was your question around? I had two for you. One was, what's something that agreed with you just right away? Made you feel like, oh yeah, I'm glad this is my home. And the second is, what's something that you feel like you're still adjusting to? Two great questions. First off, the thing that's agreeing with me is what you see on the screen right mm -hmm. now if you're watching this. If you're not watching this, if you just do the audio version, I'll do my best to explain it for you. So this is a picture of literally a block from my house. And it looks like you're in the middle of nowhere, like you're in Montana or Wyoming or California. We're in Ventura County. I'm 15 minutes from the beach, but also literally a block from this huge wilderness meadow. And it's both public and private land that is sort of shared together. And it's many acres that is really well kept. And there's barely ever anyone on these trails. Occasionally, I'll see someone on these trails. And so, I don't own this. This isn't my property. Mm. It's better than that because I don't have to take care of it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to change it. I don't have to pay for it. But literally, I can go across the street and have unlimited access to all of these trails 24 hours a day. Well, I wouldn't do it at night. It gets pretty dark out there. But it's great at sunrise and sunset. It's absolutely stunning. And when we talk about minimalism, I'm not against ownership. I own things that are really useful for me when it makes sense to own them. But with minimalism, I don't have to own everything. If I have access to it, quite often, the access outshines the ownership. I'm interested in the second question. Which is one of my... What are you still adjusting yeah. to? Yeah. Yeah, a couple things, but the the big one is whenever I have to drive down here. That's what which I was thinking. Yeah. The last the last couple weeks has been every other day because we've had Sunday Symposium. Mm. I've had some stuff for howtowritebetter.org. I've had um, some stuff for Minimalism Life, et cetera, et cetera. We've had podcasts. And so it got to this point where I was doing every other day. In general, that's not it. It's once or twice a week. And when it's that, it's fine. And I've just figured out if I leave really early, like 5.30 in the morning, yeah. 5.45, which is fine. If I just wake up at 4.44, yeah. like I used to in the corporate world anyway, mm -hmm. and I'm only doing it one day, I get to do this. Like this is something I look forward to coming to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I generally dislike traffic, but guess what? If you're in LA, you're, gonna, you're going to encounter traffic. Oh, yeah. The, the other thing is um, where I live, although this is just for the private podcast, we've talked about this, up in Ojai, mm -hmm. I... Um, there, there are a lot of famous people there. Mm -hmm. Like they come through there specifically, right? Mm -hmm. So I was 
standing in line next to Donald Glover at the coffee shop this mm-hmm. weekend. Childish Gambino, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just waiting in line. And someone walks up and says, hey, minimalist. And I'm like, oh, it's Donald <laughs> Glover right there. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and, um, and so there's that sort of weird component there. I actually, um, I haven't completely gotten used to it yet. But um, I really enjoy the simplicity of the, every time someone says, oh, do you live here? I'm like, yeah. They always say, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and it's because it is so simple. And we're going out and trying to explore the town. There's only 8,000 people there, but there are all these different things to explore. We've been doing sound bath meditations. We did a nature meditation recently. And so we try these different things locally because quite often we get stuck in this pattern. We do the same things over and over. So intentionally what we're doing is grabbing one thing a week that is new and incorporating that into our lives. And if it works out, we can do more of it. If it doesn't, great. We tried it out. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. You know what I thought you were going to say when, when that person walked up to you and says, do you live here? And you go, yeah. I thought you were going to say their response was, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. That's adorable. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I almost spit on my water. <laughs> Mainly good. thanks to Alabama's laugh. Which, uh, yeah. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen. How dare you have a better come. laugh than me? <laughs> Before we wrap up, how about we check in with our Patreon live stream? What do you got for us, Alabama? Who has a question? I have a couple questions. Here's one from Nikki. Is there a book or website which I should look up when I want to consider intermittent fasting and want to figure out which way is best for me? Oh, hmm. um, it's... It's funny because intermittent fasting was like so in vogue, like, I don't know how many years ago. Like 2010-ish. Like, yeah, I feel like you could pick any of your favorite health experts. Ben Greenfield, Paul Saladino. Prof. Sean, do you got anything on intermittent fasting? What's a good resource? There's a microphone there in front of you. You'll want to turn on and talk into it directly. I just, I don't think I really have any resources. He used to be the editor at Paleo Magazine. <laughs> yeah. So I assumed he would have something, right? I mean, some old Paleo Magazines. <laughs> I don't. I don't have any books oh, on man. it. Nikki, or... We are failing you so bad right now. No, we're not. Go look up. <laughs> type in intermittent fasting. Ben Greenfield. I mean, that, that's a great I, resource. I, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, I, I agree. Great, yeah. There's a great place to start. But you can literally pick your favorite health and wellness uh, uh, role model that you look up to. Google their name with intermittent fasting. I guarantee they've talked about it. But Ben Greenfield specifically does have videos on it on YouTube. Ben Greenfield, he, podcasts, yeah. Yeah. Podcasts. Yeah. Podcasts. yeah. He, he has some, some podcasts and people he's interviewed about intermittent fasting for sure. Let's do one more question from the Patreon live stream. Here's a question from Kathy. How do I put down the phone and read more? It sounds simple, but I struggle even though I value books and reading. Two things that I did. First thing that I did was remove social media from my phone. And when I did that, I replaced where my most popular app was, which for me was Instagram at the time, with the Kindle app. So anytime I felt the twitch to go click yeah. on that Instagram icon, I would do it. I'd open. Oh, now I'm in the middle of my damn book that I've been reading. Oh, well, now that I'm here, I might as well read a page. And that would happen if I was standing in line uh, at the grocery store or whatever. Instead of checking Instagram real quick, I would read a, a Kindle page really quickly. And that changed that habit because like what TK said earlier, I don't need three hours to sit down and read. I can read a page right here, mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. yeah. I got two apps on my homepage, the Kindle and Audible. I, I do more Audible than I, than I do Kindle. But um, yeah, that's I copied your advice and it works really well. Uh, you know, one thing I say too is that visibility changes everything. There's a big difference between having your phone sitting right by you as you're trying to read 
versus having your phone in another room. I know it's just a small little change, but I would encourage you to take your phone when you're trying to read, literally power it off and just put it inside of a drawer and shut the drawer or just put it in a different room and just let your book be the only thing that's visible. Because if that phone is something that you can see and it's right there, it's going to be much harder to resist. The second thing I would say is trust or develop your ability to get around locally without relying on GPS, because then it opens up the possibility to do little things like I'm going to leave my phone here and I'm going to go to Starbucks. I'm going to go to the library or whatever else is within a 10 to 15 minute vicinity of where I live. And I'm going to read and my phone won't be there. And I'm going to spend an hour there or 30 minutes there, whatever I have to just read. And I can't look at my phone even if I wanted to. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. I have what I call the entryway rule at our home. So whenever I get home or Bex gets home, our entryway has a shelf there and we even put like a plug through, through the wall so you can plug your phones up there and the phones get left there. Mm-hmm. The phones have a home when we're at home and it's not throughout our home. It's at this one place within the home. So it's accessible. Yep. If it rings, I can go answer it. If I need to send a text message, I can walk over to it and I can send a text, but it's not following me around. And thus the demands of the phone aren't following me around either. Yeah, uh, I was going to mention the foyer rule, or if you're really fancy like Josh, it's the foyer rule. (laughs) (laughs) See, I don't have a foyer. Sorry, Sean, we're running out of time, brother. Yep. Um, I'm going to move on here real quick. Let's see what we got. Oh, yeah. All right, y'all. Before we get to our added value segment, real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. Actually, two quick things. Our friends over at Spire Media, we've been working on this for a while and they finally got it done. We did a new design for my personal website and I don't know why I even have a website except thousands of people visit it every month, joshuafieldsmilburn.com. It basically just redirects you to everything at The Minimalists. But uh, if you want to go check that out, you can. But I'm much more excited about howtowritebetter.org. Professor Sean and I have been working on this for a while. You can see the new series that I've been working on. It's a 10 video series called Bad Writing, where we take popular books and point out that some of the best, most prolific authors still have bad writing in some of their books. And it's okay. It's not a judgment. It's not to say they're bad writers. We're all subjects to bad writing at some point in time. And so you can find that over there at howtowritebetter.org. You can find the video series there. You can find uh, the free ebook to download as well, 15 Ways to Write Better. For added value this week, Ryan, this album, you're really going to enjoy it. Mm. You know how I know sometimes, rarely do I say Ryan's going to like this music, but it's nostalgic, even though it's new. The band is called The Midnight. Mm. And... The album, which just came out, is called Heroes. And the song you're hearing in the background right now, it is called Change Your Heart or Die. And I feel like Axl Rose should be singing it. It is so nostalgic. It feels so 1980s. And Bex and I were driving around last weekend and she couldn't stop singing. We got out of the car and Ella was there too. And she was, change your heart or die. They could not stop singing this song. (laughs) It is the definition of an earworm. So I think you'll enjoy that. If you're listening to the public version of the podcast, you'll hear it in the background. If you're watching the public version on YouTube, then you'll see the YouTube link somewhere above my left shoulder. Or if you're watching the Maximal episode on Patreon, then you get to hear the whole thing, see the whole thing. That's it for our show today, Simpletons. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Alabama Podcast, Sean, Jordan No More, Professor Sean, 
Social Jazz, Danny Unknown, Post-Production Peter, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace. From the cracks in the pavement I rose, a lion amongst sheep, I am the one, the front lead, and only will there ever be one me. 
Try on my crown, but you'll never become king. Let me reiterate, you imitate, I innovate. Separating the term dick rider from the word inspire, I am the greatest. The chain's material, the title's a statement. A stone my name is engraved in, welcome to my home. You're a guest in this house. For too long have I let you just lounge on this sectional couch, it's like I've adopted you. You've adopted everyone's style, so since you're my child, I'ma rinse out your mouth with bars. I'm coming and swinging. Sonny, listen, I'm about to bury you. <laughs> <laughs>